Wait a minute. You, you, all that wasn't like the, pr- the intro? You're doing the silence thing before you do the actual like intro thing? Damn, I thought that was some fun stuff. You should have kept it in. Well, that's for our Patreons. Patreons. <sighs> or not. <laughs> Alright, fine. Just do it. Let's just do it. It's the Actual Anarchy Podcast number 32. ActualAnarchy.com slash 32. Yeah, welcome everybody. We're doing the uh, Don't Breathe. Do the do the thing with the spiel. All right, here's the spiel. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Maximum freedom. Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and narco capitalist perspective. My name is Daniel and my co-host is Robert and we're going to talk about the movie Don't Breathe. This will be episode 32, actualanarchy.com slash 32. How you doing, Robert? We're finally doing it. I'm super psyched, even though it's late and you're old and I'm not, but it's going to be fun, hopefully, I think. This is one that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I hope hope it's not a big letdown because, ah, man, there's so much good good stuff in this movie. So many uh, little nuanced things to get into and really dig into. So, yeah, I'm doing great. Well, I would agree. I wish we had done this uh, in the past, but now I've seen the movie twice. You've seen the movie twice, and uh, when we more recently talked about doing this one, you said that you were going to be very challenging. You wanted me to take notes. I did not take notes, but Gosh, you son of a bitch. I welcome you I welcome you to be challenging. Uh, but before we get into this, uh, let's just talk about some of the ways you can support our show. We have a Patreon site at patreon.com/readrothbard. I'm also going to look at uh, getting perhaps uh, the actual anarchy name as well. We run readrothbard.com, actualanarchy.com, and now theconquestofbread.com. We've got Liberty Classroom links all over the place. We've got Amazon links. We just added Principled Propaganda, which is Liberty-inspired T-shirts and merchandise. So that's going to be in the right-hand bar on actualanarchy.com. Uh, without too much more, why don't we get into this movie, Mr. Johnson? Yeah, so I asked you and I begged you take notes and you promised me you would so you promised and then you underdelivered, which is the actual anarchy way so good job keeping up the standards of our quality podcast uh so don't breathe i don't know how much of the uh the intro you're going to keep so i'm just going to repeat myself it was a movie i've been wanting to do for a long time i first saw this movie probably like six months ago maybe more now and as soon as i saw it i was like oh man this is so perfect for this show because this is just so full of nuance and, oh, who's in the right at acting at what time? And is, is anybody acting morally properly in this movie at all? Or it flips and flops and goes back and forth. And I just thought it was great. So I kept telling Daniel to watch it. And um, it never quite happened. And then we he wanted to get a guest on to talk about this movie. Because it was kind of like one of these guests, Ali. But uh, that fell through. So, man, I was just like, let's just do it. Let's just do this movie. It's going to be great. And so I hope... Hope we're not let down by, by this movie. Uh, hopefully, uh, this episode turns out really well. So, let's do the Google description, shall we? It's the Don't Breathe 2016 Crime 
film thriller, 98 minutes, and a quick 98 minutes at that. Uh, Rocky, played by Jane Levy. Alex and Money, the guy's name is Money, are three Detroit thieves who get their kicks by breaking into houses of wealthy people. Money gets word about a blind veteran who won a major cash settlement following the death of his only child. Figuring he's an easy target, the trio invades the man's secluded home in an abandoned neighborhood. Finding themselves trapped inside, the young intruders must fight for their lives after making a shocking discovery about their supposedly helpless victim. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's probably the closest closest one I've ever read as far as the film to the Google description. I would I would quibble with their idea that um, the gang are robbing for thrills. And sure, that's probably part of it. But the main storyline in this movie is that Money and the girl, what did you say her name was? Rocky. Rocky and Money are trying to get this money so that they can bail and leave the uh, bombed out shithole that is Detroit for California. The other one, the uh, kind of a nerd kind of friend zone guy, um, also decides he wants to leave too. So, eh, I mean, yeah, they do it for thrills, but yeah, they also have a goal in mind. Well, yeah, and they've got a little bit of an operation going where the nerd guy, his dad, works for the security company and has access to all this equipment and the keys to the houses. He knows which houses to break into, and they do, uh, in the initial scene, they break into this house, shut the alarm down, you know, using the key and everything, take what they want, and they're very careful to only take up to a certain dollar amount so it, it wouldn't get classified as a certain... um major crime so even if they did get caught they they would just get like a slap on the wrist and then they reset the alarm close the door and then smash the window to make the alarm go off and then they escape and the cops would you know come and assume it's just this smash and grab type job and be none the wiser to how they actually took took uh took the heist right because the the homeowner doesn't want to know that yeah the, the alarm was disabled and blah 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 all that sort of thing. If you find out that's going on, then it becomes a bigger conspiracy and actually you get investigated and did get shut down real quick. So yeah, it's actually a clever move on their part to make it look like a, a simple smash and grab. So I have a question for you, uh, initially just based on this very first scene. Does this, in your mind, to a statist watching this, would this sort of be a justification for having a government versus private security firm that can so easily be corrupted and co-opted and taken advantage of? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, maybe a statist would see this and say that, well, clearly these these private security firms are just not equipped to deal with these super clever criminals, and they're just so so vulnerable to their own employees taking advantage of this sort of technology and whatnot. We need a, a third party to come in and kind of regulate this but i would say that well we have a government and clearly they didn't <laughs> so yeah there are going to be bad actors in any kind of uh, free free society um and it's not necessarily and there's always going to be a certain level of cold war kind of arms race right like so the fees are going to get better and then the defense is going to get better and that sort of thing but to say the government's going to come in and fix everything when clearly that's not that's not what government does um, and then government is also incapable of doing it. And, and in this movie, government exists, and they don't do shit. It is actually the the alarm system which finally does get triggered, and then um, the cops do show up. But the whole point of this target, or one of the pluses for this group, 
was that it's in this kind of abandoned neighborhood um, that the cops don't patrol because there's no reason to because nobody lives there and also because Detroit and they're bankrupt and property values are zero and on and on and on because the government has bankrupted the city you know, because of malinvestment and all sorts of other reasons. But Yeah, that, that's a pretty good response so far. I wanted to jump in just real quickly because um, your point is, in response to a state of seeing this and going, well, that's why we need a government because you can't trust these uh, private security firms. But you're right. This is with a government in place. Now, sure, a bankrupt government, but uh, it's not like the Nirvana policy where they're comparing a situation to perfection, mm-hmm. right? And that's what so often happens when people see a situation and then ask you how it would work in a libertarian or anarchist society. And they sort of blithely assume that because it's not perfect, therefore government is justified. Right. When government is anything but perfect, government it's responsible for yeah, it's responsible for millions and millions of deaths, so much uh, stifling of innovation and progress, all these other terrible things that we've expounded on for the last I don't know 50 shows now. Uh, even though this is 32, we also did the Reed Rothbard podcast where we were talking about this kind of stuff. So to fall into the Nirvana fallacy trap is uh, a very uh, common defense for a statist when they're talking about an anarchist society. They would, they'll would they compare perfection to whatever situation would apply and decree that because anarchy wouldn't result in that perfection, that it somehow justifies the violent arm of government to exist and, and have a role in these things. And I would say that all, all we need to do is show that it would be, you know, one degree better. You don't need to say that it's going to be perfect. And in the you wouldn't claim that. And no, I don't think any anarchist ever would claim that it would be perfect because you're still dealing with human beings. And human beings are self-interested and there's all kinds of make mistakes and all kinds of bad things happen. Yeah, I was in an argument on Facebook the other day where some guy said that uh, companies would just take over and and enforce rules on you and and all of this. And and so I was like, so basically you're saying that we would have what we have now, but it would be corporations that are government. So for you, it's a push. So why not try freedom? Right. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the current, I mean, we're recording this on uh, July 15th, and there's a big um, kind of net neutrality discussion going on right now. And uh, a lot of the fear-mongering that's going around is that if you leave it to the market, then the corporations will just control the Internet and stifle speech that they don't like and, you know, propagate speech that they do like. And just historically, has it really been companies and firms? that have stifled speech or has it been government? I would, I would point people to China, current day China. Um, there's a great firewall of China that's government put in that is only allowing certain websites. In fact, there's only like a handful of websites you can even see in China. I mean, there's probably hundreds of thousands or thousands, but they're all like, most of them are made in China and then very few that are allowed to come in from outside China. I bet Sesame Credit is one. That's probably one, but those are all that's because of government. That's government-imposed censorship. Uh, if it was a free market, different firms would be fighting with each other to provide the best service, to provide all the content. Uh, anyway, we don't need to get into that talk unless you had a few things you wanted to get off your chest. Yeah, I'll but, just add that that even the good old U.S. of A. It uh, you know the free uh, free speech of the First Amendment. Well, guess who suspended that? Lincoln, everyone's favorite hero, and Wilson. Yeah. He was. Jailing, they were both jailing um, uh, people that disagreed with them, journalists, newspaper publishers, uh, people 
talking uh, people out of joining the military, like all of these things which are supposedly protected free speech, government was totally violating that sacred protection and throwing people in prison. Yeah, speaking of which, it used to be illegal in this country to for an anarchist to enter. I mean, talking about immigration, there was an anti-anarchist immigration act <laughs> where it was illegal for an anarchist to come into the country. So talking about uh, stifling free speech. Yeah, I mean, I was born here, so, you know, homegrown anarchist. Right, but anyway, yeah. Um, but that was an accident. Like, that that's the other side of, of all this is it, where you're born is, is an accident of birth. You know, so this whole immigration question, like, it's kind of a challenge. It's it's a big dividing thing in libertarian circles. People are fighting over this. But where you're born is totally an accident to you, right? Your parents make certain decisions and whatnot, but you didn't have any choice in that matter. And so that kind of throws a bent in, in my mind as to what's the right stance on the immigration question. Because I think everyone should have an opportunity to live in an area that is as free from government interference and control as possible. Now, of course, no place like that on Earth exists, but there are degrees, matters matters of degree that do exist, and uh, I think that is a factor in, in I don't know, I, I don't want to say, like, fairness or equality, but, like, I think everyone should be afforded the opportunity to secede from government control, leave an area that's worse for them, and go to an area that's better for them on an individual level. However, I also think that it needs to be related to property rights. Like, they have to go to an area where they're invited to be by the owners of that property. But, of right. course, I mean, we I, have I, a yeah. bastardized version of property um, in the, in countries, right? Like, right. And, and nobody and owns it. Right, exactly. It's this idea that government can contract for property that they don't own. And it, it's, it's complicated because... You know, the, the basic argument is, well, we need to close the borders because people will come in that will suck off the system and suck off the uh, the welfare state. And they'll take out, they'll take away more than they put in, and they'll and they'll vote for socialist type people in office and whatnot. And we need to protect against Western civilization and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean. I've heard the argument that, you know, either way, whether you're a closed border libertarian or an open border libertarian, I mean, either way, it's it's a violation of the NAP. I would, I lean way more on the open border side because I'm not going to initiate violence to stop somebody from crossing an imaginary line on the chance that they are going to maybe vote for somebody that is more socialist than the other socialist or that they are going to maybe suck off more resources on the welfare state than they are going to put in. Uh, it seems to be that you're going to Bush doctrine it and say that I'm going to aggress against this guy before he can aggress against me because he's probably going to. That's just not good enough for me. I, you need to have uh, an immediate uh, action to defend yourself against. And uh, I am on the uh, open border side. I'm with the Jean Jacketarian, Mark and Rose, me and my bud. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of the net neutrality argument that people have that they're unhappy with cable packages and, and how expensive and crappy cable services, and so they want net neutrality to force the companies to behave better or whatever. And that I'm sort of drawing this parallel between the immigration issue, where you're saying that there's this, these enticements to bring people here, and they suck off the government teat, welfare, etc. And my response is, well, then stop the incentive, stop intervening, stop having the welfare state, stop giving them a reason to come here and be unproductive. And yeah. 
That's the same thing with the net neutrality. Well, if the problem is government intervention, creating these cartel arrangements and m geographic monopolies for a chosen few so they can treat you poorly, give you crap service, charge you high prices, you don't want additional government intervention to try to control or amend the previous intervention. You want to strip away the intervention. And so I, I see that parallel between net neutrality and the immigration issue is remove the violence, remove the interventions, and allow freedom to work. Right. And it'll be much better. Right. But, but you know, the lefties will never say, well, we got these entitlements. We can just get rid of them. And they're never going to get rid of the welfare state. The entire government is, is founded on the welfare state. That's how they buy votes. It's how they stay in power. It's how they suck off, you know, that's, that's, that's how the system works. You promise. It's that advanced auction on stolen goods that H.L. Uh, exactly. Mickens talk, talks about. Right. So, yeah, I, w I would love for that to happen. I'm absolutely with you on that. Um, that would be the way to solve the problem. But uh, try convincing a lefty of that. Uh, good luck. Or or a, or a Republican type. Um, just a statist in general, I think. Yeah, just a statist in general. Anyway. We of which to, there uh, are many. <laughs> we do. We do. Um, I just want to note before we uh, get back to the movie, uh, this movie was filmed, all the uh, indoor scenes were filmed in Hungary, but the outdoor scenes were filmed in Detroit. And, um, yeah, it's not a, not a favorable depiction of Detroit. It's, um, I mean, I don't know if there is a favorable place in Detroit they could have filmed. I really don't know. I mean, you probably, there are probably some, still some decent spots, but, um, yeah, it looks like a real rundown shithole. Um, and that's, Due to lots of reasons. I mean, this episode isn't about um, why Detroit is bankrupt, but uh, a lot of states are actually going bankrupt. I mean, they'll probably just get bailed out. But uh, these 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 numbers, this debt is starting to come due. I mean, it would be great if it seceded. Just everybody seceded. Everybody everybody just sent in some some letter of independence, some declaration of independence. <laughs> it's like we're out or I'm out. Anyway. Yeah, that was another argument that somebody told me. It was like, you know, you don't like it, leave. And, well, they won't let me. <laughs> you know, or or they said, um, no one's stopping you from, from starting your own government or shutting the government down or something. And I was like, yeah, they are. They're armed to the teeth defending their existence. <laughs> it was a totally non nonsense argument that, that they were making. But anyway, let's, let's dive this back to the movie. No, yeah, you're dealing with people that are whose existence relies on stealing. So they're absolutely going to use violence to keep that lifestyle going. Um, okay, so where were we? Well, they, they break into houses. They've got some reasons to want to leave Detroit, like you're saying. It's a shithole. And they're selling these items for their income, right? Like they're just yeah making money on this stuff, fencing it. Money's like got a connection. And yeah, Rocky, no, I the girl, she's here. got a... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to mention the thing you were just about to say. Um, she's got a kid sister, and she wants to take her to California to get away from this bad home life where this mom used to lock her in the trunk of a car, basically treats her poorly. Now, I thought those scenes were kind of meant to build up some sympathy for her. Now, either now I, it didn't work for me to build up sympathy for her, but it did explain her motivations for me, I guess. Did you, did you get any sympathy, or did your wife get any sympathy for the girl? Well, I think the point of the movie, like over the course of time, is to sort of shift who are the perpetrators. I think you sort of alluded to that earlier. But yeah, they do want you to have sympathy for this person. And in a way, I do, because they're resorting to stealing. Because I would imagine that most of their other opportunities 
have been removed through government interventions, like minimum wage issues, regulations, permits, licensing, things like that, have removed their opportunities to be productive. Like they can't get a job somewhere because they can't provide enough value to overcome the hurdle that is the minimum wage that would make an employer find them an attractive person to employ. Uh, they can't start their own business. They can't even open a lemonade stand without a permit. So it's this destruction of opportunity that leads to criminal activity because what other options do they have? And she's got this shitty home life. She's got this uh, terrible mom who's got the shitty boyfriend. And she even uh, says, oh, how are you making money? You know, sucking the, the D and, you know, it's just kind of like giving her shit about it. So it certainly is a motivation to want to get the hell out of there. Because Detroit's a shithole, her family life's a shithole, and she's got this younger sister who's, what, probably 10 years old, maybe? She wants to get her out of there. Okay, so it sounds like you're okay with them robbing houses, then. I'm not okay with it, but I can see that their other op- other opportunities are not available to them. Okay, so you still don't give them, you don't give them pass. You still think they're, they're NAP violators and they Oh, yeah, be- yeah, yeah, whole hog. Yeah, they're, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing at all. Okay, but you understand why they're doing it. Yeah, I can see the motivations because with the limited options, I mean, what, what's she going to do? Get on welfare? I mean, that's her other option. That seemed to be what was going on at their house. I mean, the guy was the the the, the boyfriend of the mom. Like, uh, he's not working, and they were both just sitting watching TV, smoking. I'm sure they're probably on some sort of welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and they even said uh, about him, uh, he's been looking for a job for like six months, or or not even looking, or something like that. Like, he has right. no no real plans to get out there and get a job. Right. I mean, it was very apparent that this is like a very uh, economically depressed area. It didn't, yeah, it didn't justify for me why they would go and rob people's houses. I mean, a bus ticket is what, 20 or 30 bucks to get somewhere better? I mean, I don't know. There are other options, but I mean, you wouldn't have a movie if you had people taking other options. So, like you said, the gang find out about this guy because the friend zone got the skinny on his, their clients of the, the security agency. And so they go to the house and they find out that the guy's blind and he's a, a war veteran. He was blinded in the war and uh, they decide that they're going to go do that exactly that night. They're like, this is perfect. He's got a bunch of money. I forget how much money it was. It was like $400,000 or something like that. Or Yeah, they said he had gotten a settlement because uh, his daughter got killed by uh, some some woman driving. And her family settled with him for like three hundred thousand dollars. Right. And he's like this shut-in who just has the cash like in the house. Yeah, I don't know how exactly why they thought that. I mean, I don't know how many people do that these days, but maybe I guess. I mean, if I had three hundred thousand dollars, I wouldn't just be sitting in a hole in the wall. But maybe I guess there's some people that just might still do that. If you don't trust the banks and you can't just jump on the internet and do your online banking or whatever, you didn't think that that was too uh, outrageous. You thought it was fine. Different strokes for different folks. I mean, I'm sure that some people do that, and he seemed like an odd dude to begin with. Uh, he'd obviously seen some shit. He'd been blinded by a grenade in Iraq, and then his daughter died. So I'm, I'm not putting anything past this guy. He's he's uh, okay. Uh, he's got some shit going on. Okay. So the the three of them, we got money and friends on and Chicky Babe. Uh, they go in at two o'clock in the morning and they throw uh, uh, like a drugged piece of meat to the dog and did it this is one thing that i didn't really realize was there a single dog or were there multiple dogs 
Because if there were multiple dogs, that drug didn't last very long at all. I mean, if there was a single dog, it didn't last very long at all. I believe it was one dog. Okay. Because, yeah, the um, the drugs in this movie don't last at all. In a second, we're going to find out another drug that doesn't last at all. But anyway, so the, the friend zone, he's got the keys. He's got a single key for the house. But turns out our um, homeowner has got all kinds of locks all over his doors and, like, irons all over the bars and whatnot. The girl ends up going into the bathroom window. She breaks the window. She opens the lock. She gets in and she uses this remote to kill the alarm. And then she sneaks around the house and lets the other guys in. All right, so before you get any further, I just wanted to mention that uh, you mentioned he has the one key and that there's like three or four locks on the door. And he makes the comment, you know, he doesn't trust the security company. That's weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is a little ironic because he's the security company's son breaking in. But I thought that was kind of right, funny. Exactly. It was. So the two guys, they go upstairs and they gas the homeowner. And then they go to this base, basement door and they believe that the cash is probably in the basement. And, because there's uh, a big lock on it. Right, there's a big lock on it. And they brought a crowbar with them and they kind of pry at it a little bit and they're like, eh, this isn't going to work. So he, uh, Money pulls out this gun and Friend Zone freaks out. He's like, why did you really, you know what bringing a gun with us means? And he's like, yeah, it gives me a better chance to defend myself. I would argue that you're not really defending yourself if you're breaking into someone else's house, but whatever. And then Friend Zone says it gives them the legal right to shoot us. Now, doesn't the homeowner already have the legal right to shoot you? I mean, I guess I don't know exactly where the laws are in different states probably differ. Apparently, if a, a guy breaks into your house and he falls on a knife and hurts himself, then it's your fault somehow. But if you wake up in the middle of the night and you find somebody in your house that is broken in, how do you not have the right to defend your per- your your person and your property. I mean, the person has broken into your house. You don't know what their intentions are. If they're there to give you a birthday cake or if they're there to murder you and rape you and steal everything you have. I mean, they've already established that they're there, that they're going to use violence to break into your house. How can you trust them to not do the worst thing you can imagine? Well, to be your uh, your arch nemesis, you got to negotiate with them, man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you could trust them to negotiate at that point. You could trust them, right? Anyway, I thought that was kind of a fun little uh, bit where they go back and forth. So um, friend zone's like, I'm out of here. This gun signifies, you know, this is way too more se- serious than I originally bought in for. And then like right away, we're talking, what, like a few minutes, movie time? The uh, homeowner just like disappears right there in the in the hallway, in the, in the doorway. So the gassing drug didn't do anything. Did that seem weird to you at all? Yeah, it did seem weird. Um, but Money shoots the door to open it, so that's super fucking loud, right? And he thinks he can do it because he did the whole sleeping gas with, with the blind guy. But mm-hmm. It's not super loud, though. He uses a silencer. Well, he, he uses a plastic bottle, but I mean, he's still going to make a racket. Okay, well, I've got issues to talk about this movie in terms of the noise, but go ahead. Well, and it, it wakes up the, the blind guy who, even with the sleeping stuff, Apparently it didn't affect him. Now, the guy had seen combat in the military, so I don't know, maybe uh, maybe he's built up a tolerance to this kind of thing. I don't know. But you're right. The dog wakes up way early after being drugged, and this dude, like five minutes later, wakes up. Yeah. I just, I mean, I know it has to happen for the script and the tension and whatnot, but I wish they had kind of given us a reason as to why the drugs didn't weren't effective at all. I would have, I would have been, I would have appreciated it more because otherwise it's just like, well, he needs to wake up for the movie to go. Uh, okay, 
So anyway, it just seems convenient when that kind of crap happens. But there is a very interesting thing that happens um, now that the guy's downstairs. Money, he's talking about the door to the basement. He says, I know what's in there, and we ain't living without it. Now, he means the money, but the man knows what's in the basement, and he thinks it's a totally different thing. So he thinks that they know what's in the basement. So I thought that was an interesting little play there where – so we have to assume – well, I don't know if you have to assume it. Just the, that the that the homeowner is under the belief that these people know about what's going on in the basement. So that kind of flavors his actions from here on out, which is interesting. Oh, that's a good point. Um, where we're – you know, he's mistaken. Like they don't know. They, they're they looking for something totally different. If he, they said, we know you got some money, buddy, and we're not leaving without it, that's totally different. But that's not what happened. So the guy, money, he aims the gun at the homeowner, who's blind, and threatens to kill him if he moves. I mean, obviously, this is the action of a thug trying to get this guy to do what he wants, threatening to murder him in his own home. He fires a warning shot, but the guy keeps moving forward anyway. And then the homeowner grabs the gun, and he grabs the guy by the neck. Now, keep in mind, there's just the the girl kind of sitting there horrified, not making a sound, and then Money, her boyfriend, who's struggling with the homeowner guy, who's like this big, older guy, but he's like ripped. He's like yeah. super strong. He's got old man uh, strength. That's what we call it, old man strength. Yeah, he's, well, he's got old man strength, plus he's just like in super good shape. I think, I don't know if this is, this is a guy that was in the Avatar movies. I don't know, but I don't know. He's in some other things. But yeah, he's in super good shape. He slams the money against the wall and is able to muscle the gun so that it's pointing back at money. And then money starts begging for his life. And I think that's interesting that he starts begging for his life. And for a second, the homeowner like is like kind of loosens his grip and it's kind of like, okay. And he goes, how many of you are there? And money says, just me. Now you obviously can't trust what he says, right? You can't say, Oh, well, yeah, he's totally telling you the truth that there's only him. So at this point, I think that the homeowner pretty much has to kill this guy because you got a guy who's got a gun. He had a gun on you, threatening to kill you. Yeah, you turn the tables, but you don't know who else is in that house. And as soon as you let that guy go, even if you still have the gun, the tables instantly turn because he could like, you know, crawl, wait for you, pretend to leave and then have a baseball bat and smash you over the head and kill you. I think... I think he has to kill that guy. All right, totally let me let me stop doing... you right here. Let me stop you right here. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. are you doing special pleading because he's blind? It, it reminds me of uh, when they're casing the joint and they see that the guy's blind. They're like, "Oh, he's blind. Should should we do this?" Like, it, does it change the morality because the situation is you're taking advantage of this guy more than breaking into someone's house who can see? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's still the same action. Um, the breaking in. I think whether you break into a anybody's house it's, it's immoral but strategically and justifiably i think that the homeowner has to kill the guy because then he suddenly he, he pretends like he's going to let him go and then he shoots him in the head right and it's like a shock i think he had to because if he doesn't he's a dead man okay i can see that argument also the first time you you view the movie you don't know what is later revealed and so right. I, I think that lends itself to that that uh loosening of the tension to where, oh, he is going to let him go, but then he doesn't. Mm. And probably for the reason that you mentioned, because of the misunderstanding of what's downstairs, but also because, yeah, he's blind, so if he does let him go, uh, he's putting himself at a disadvantage at another risk. Uh, I still think it's a little bit questionable if he hadn't 
made reference to what's downstairs, whether he can shoot the guy or not. After turning like, the tables on him, you know, it's like he, he kind of went on the offensive at that point. So you think if he he could have let him go? If he were to believe the guy who's a lying yeah, liar who broke into his house. Yeah, you can't right. believe him. And he's yeah, blind, so it does play in the situation like you're saying. But, I mean, i got to think, your only option is to shoot the guy, really? It just seems like so... I mean, pulling the well, trigger is a hard what, thing what to do. What else can he do? What else could he do? I mean, you could. I mean, he he probably knows where his. He's probably got a telephone. He could probably drag the guy over to a telephone and call the cops or whatever, or go over to the um the uh you know the home security board and trigger the alarm. Right, but knowing what he knows, he can't do that. Right, knowing what he knows, he can't do that because he thinks that they know what's down in the basement and they'll just tell the cops what's in the basement. Right. Yeah. But being the first time viewer of this movie, because I think once you know, it sort of changes how you can see the situation. Uh, first-time viewer, I think you would say he should call the cops at this point. I, I still don't think he could, because a lying liar tells you he's the only person in the house. There could be any number of people in the house just waiting to for you to let your guard down and shoot you or whatever. Right, but wouldn't they, if they're right there ready to shoot him, as soon as he shoots money, which would be the only thing preventing them from attacking this guy, wouldn't they then just attack this guy? Like, if money is his ticket, is his safety, if someone else is there, as soon as he shoots money, he loses that, that human shield. He loses his... His, his hostage. His hostage chip. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the question is whether or not he thought of him as a hostage or not. Obviously, what we know, he didn't. But strategically also, you're right. He could have, like, put him in a chokehold and put the gun to his head and then backed off to the telephone or whatever. And then, like, everybody be cool, I'm going to call the cops, and or else I'm going to shoot your friend. Yeah, I think that might have been a little more justifiable, or at least a little more morally um, an issue. But I don't. I mean, you've got, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, if, without knowing what's in the basement, that, you know, people have broken into your house, and you don't know how many of them there are, you don't know how much time you have before they get to you. Now, it's also, <laughs> it gets really complicated, because, it's already complicated, but it gets even more complicated, which this movie ignores, and it's one of the things that I have against this movie, is that he pulls the trigger, shoots the guy, you're shooting it in an enclosed area, and you are relying entirely on your survival, on your sense of hearing, and your knowledge of the house, right? Because you're going to deafen yourself in that enclosed area, and it never happens in the movie. He fires all kinds of shots in this movie, and only at the very, very end is he ever bothered by a loud noise. Well, and, and when the um, washing machine gets set off. Oh, right, yeah, which the gunshot would have been way louder than that. And the right. The gunshot would have been way louder than the alarm going off. That was, I thought that was pretty bad. But other than that, I thought it was a fun movie. Well, let's get back to your, you know, him shooting money. I think that not knowing what's in the basement, I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation if I'm the blind guy. But if I think that he's not alone and there's two or three other people there who might attack me, Shooting money doesn't solve anything. It eliminates one threat. Right. But then it immediately allows threats two and three to attack me. So well, your initial but, but they were, strategy is a little well, sketch to me. Well, they could have attacked him at any point anyway. I mean, this when they true. were struggling. I mean, when they were struggling, that girl was just standing there watching him. She could have jumped in. She could have jumped on the guy's back. When money still had control of the gun while they were, you know... Uh, clearly the old man's strength was, you know, too much for him. Place he had like the military training and he was able to overpower him and, you know, direct the gun back at money. 
Um, she could have jumped in. I mean, obviously she's a little girl, not nearly as strong as the dude, but the two of them together. I mean, uh, clearly, you know, she's just terrified. And the crowbar's right there. Yeah, the crowbar's right there, which she uses on later on. Yeah, for me, I give him a pass. I give him a pass. I say, yeah, you do what you got. You feel he is right at the time. Uh, you don't know. That's the thing. You don't have perfect knowledge. You, you're dealing with a whole lot of unknowns, especially when you're blind. And his, his blind are <laughs> bothered me a little bit. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if they consulted with blind people when they wrote this movie, but either he seemed to hear things or didn't hear things at convenient times. <laughs> but anyway, okay. Yeah, I I give him a pass. I mean, do you have any more um, points to make on maybe why he shouldn't shouldn't have killed him, or I mean, strategically or morally? Do you do you find him immoral for shooting the guy? I think it changes the, on a second viewing. So once you know it's in the basement, then he sort of has to do it, right? Because then he's preserving himself from the police, right? Because he thinks yeah. that these guys have come into his house because of what's in the basement, and right. so they haven't called the cops yet. Otherwise, it would be the cops there. So his only way to prevent them from calling the cops is to shoot them. Right. So he's covering his bases in that respect. But first time viewer, these guys broke in your house. You're right. There are potentially other threats. But I think that shooting the guy allows threats two and three to attack you versus keeping money as a hostage in order to trip the alarm, call the police. I think that would have been the first time viewing, like the the move to go to. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I see your point. But, I mean, this is all, like, in real time, in real life, man, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, yeah, so... Be all so quick? Yeah, it all happened so quickly, and, you know, you're also... you maybe just been drugged, and his senses aren't super great, plus he's already blind, and, man, you don't know what's going on, and all of a sudden, you're struggling with some guy for your life, and uh, you just got pissed off, and you decided to shoot him. I, I, I would also give him a pass in that situation. I, I think the... The, there's an argument that's made by the guy, by the homeowner, that, and I know I'm jumping ahead of myself, but the, there's an argument that all, everything that happens is the fault of the invaders, even though he does some things. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And I, okay, let's just mention it. I'm not going to say what happens, but do you, do you agree with him at that point? Because I kind of do. I mean, he's yeah. not like completely innocent, but yeah, every, all this whole series of events starts with them invading his house. That's true. They did set it into motion. And uh, in my firearms training, they talked about that if someone initiates the felony, then they are responsible for the actions afterwards. So like if an innocent person gets shot by someone in a defensive capacity, it's still the fault of the perpetrator because they set the events in motion. Right. Right. But I think he, he later on goes well beyond that. Uh, Ooh, we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into money's been shot and homegirls hiding in the closet. Okay. So, it, did it bother you that the lights were on? Did did, did the did the people turn them on? I didn't notice that. You they know, did. Yeah. Okay. Money turned yeah. them on, and it was like, well, the dude's blind, so fuck it. You know, we might as well be able to see. Okay. Good. Good. Because yeah, I was like, wait a minute, those lights are on. Why? Why are they be on? Okay. So yeah, she's hiding in the closet, and she texts friend zone to be like, yo. They shot money. He shot money. I'm hiding in the closet. Come help me if you can. And he goes to get her, comes back in the house, and he's, like, shocked to see the homeowner just, like, walk right by him. And he kind of sneaks by, like, Metal Gear Solid style and finds the girl. But the girl has seen the money, right? The homeowner comes in. He's, like, checks the money in the safe. And she's 
without him knowing, she's in the closet watching him do all this. Because otherwise, she would have had no chance to find this money. Right, and I'm confused by this. Like, why does he check the money if he thought the people were there for what was in the basement? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big flaw in this movie. Not that I didn't love the movie. I still, I still think it's a great movie. But yeah, I, that, it makes no sense. Why? All he has to do is walk in and, I don't know, have some kind of a, um, like a piece of tape over the, uh, the wall, the fake wall, you know? And so if the piece of tape is disturbed, you know, or like a string or whatever, you know, people do and they don't want to know, they want to know if something's been disturbed or not. You don't have to go in and then dial in the code and then check and count all the money or whatever, make sure it's all there. That seemed a little bit like, what? Why are you even, why do you care? Or why would you even have cause to believe that they even know about it, right? Which is your point. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's in the script. And I think the point of, like, not putting a, a hair or something along there is, one, he's blind, but also, two, he's got several layers of security and protection in place. He's got, like, bars on the windows, six locks on the door, behind a hidden wall panel. So, yeah. you know, forgive him for forgetting layer seven. You know? <laughs> right, right. No, yeah. And this guy goes above and beyond what the average person does, for sure. I mean, yes, he is in bombed out Detroit, but yeah, still. So let's see. The next thing I have is that he's kind of waving the gun around in the living room and they're just kind of standing there being quiet and silent. And then the friend zone's phone dies because he didn't charge the phone before doing this job because, you know, movie reasons, whatever. And then the invaders go down into the basement. And while they're down in the basement looking around, the homeowner checks the safe, finds the money gone. And then the invaders discover what's in the basement. And what is in the basement is the girl that killed the guy's daughter. And it was a vehicle accident. Uh, she has a little piece of paper, a little newspaper clipping that she shows to the the invaders saying, hey, I was acquitted of this homicide. There's a vehicular manslaughter. And um, so the girl says, I don't care what you did. I'm getting you out of here. She's making the moral judgment that this man has kidnapped and imprisoned this woman against her will and that that is immoral and she needs to be rescued and freed. Now, at this point, this is the big crux in this question. Is she right or does the judgment of the justice in this situation rely with the victim? Wow, that's a good question. An excellent question because in an Ancapistan society of private property society would be the satisfaction of the victim, but also within societal constraints and uh, enclave constraints, right? There would be certain common law and certain practices that would evolve through through time that would be acceptable or, or consensus type things. Sure. So I think that he would most likely have gone well above and beyond what those acceptable means would be. And I would add that he made a settlement for this cash for the three hundred thousand dollars. Right, but that was that's in the civil trial. That's right. not in the punitive that's not in the, the criminal trial. The but criminal he, trial she was declared innocent. Yes, he, she was declared innocent in the trial, in the criminal trial, and in the civil trial they settled with him for three hundred thousand dollars, thus creating a contract, creating an agreement that, you know, terrible thing happened, but here is compensation. This is what we're offering. This is what you are accepting. There's no you're going to take our daughter and do what you're going to do to her in prisoner. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he's already agreed to an arrangement, and he's going above and beyond that. I see what you're saying, and I think you have a good point. I would argue that 
I mean, just to take the devil's advocate side, I would argue that we don't know exactly the details of that agreement. Um, clearly, he feels that he was not, he did not get justice, or else he would not have done what he did. Um, he, he feels that he didn't get justice at all. In fact, later on, he says that she should have been in jail, but rich girls don't go to jail. Now, it's kind of funny that he's complaining about her being rich and then also accepting the parents' money. Like, I don't like it that you're rich, but I like it when you give me money. <laughs> yeah, and, but and, and, then, and then back to criminal justice, like, what does her being in jail do positively for him, other than maybe some schadenfreude satisfaction, you know, of, oh, at least she's being punished. But he's not made whole in any way. Like, that's the whole, you know, people going to prison, well, the victim of, of a crime is not made whole. Do you follow well, what, what you I'm saying? What do you think about like, his solution, then? Because his solution is to make himself whole. Well, his solution, his solution is to imprison her, have... and... And go above and beyond that as well. Okay, so what if what if it didn't involve imprisoning her? What if the societal norm was she kills his daughter, whether accidentally or intentionally or whatever, negligently? What if the societal norm is, hey, we're going to impregnate you with this baby, this semen from the guy, to give him another baby? Is that a violation of the NAP, or is that a justifiable restitution? Man, I don't even I don't even begin to know on that one, but I. <laughs> I do quibble with his whole concept, uh, and, and it's weird that we were talking around it as if it's a spoiler, and, and now we're revealing it, even though well, but that's spoilers, in the movie. spoilers all the time on this show. Yeah, 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 yeah. But all right, to think that he's going to replace his lost daughter with a newborn baby from the person who accidentally killed his daughter is insane. Well, I don't he, know if he's saying that he's going to. Re- place his daughter but he's going to get another child he did say that it would bring his daughter back because rocky says this won't bring your daughter back and he says i wouldn't be so sure about that or something along those lines right but yeah but i think he means that i'm going to get another child right and, and, and i don't mean right it's it's in, right but i don't mean it's insane that he thinks it will literally be his daughter his daughter again i mean it's insane that he would think that as a 60 year old blind guy he has any capacity to raise a newborn on yeah, that, his own. That thought did occur to me also. That that was kind of funny. It's like he's got this woman chained up in his basement, essentially, and she's, what, a couple months pregnant, maybe more. And, yeah, he's like 60. And so she's going to give birth, and then he's going to set her free. That's what he said. And then what is he going to do with this baby, like you said? Is he going to be like this blind father? I mean, yes, he's got the money. He could hire a... You know, some kind of caregivers, a wet nurse, some other things. And he's got that crazy, but, like, man-eating dog. So, you know, good luck with that. Yeah, well. But, uh, like, I think the guy, like we said before, he's pretty fucked up. And he wasn't really thinking this thing all the way through. Well, I think he realized that what he was doing, obviously, is not within societal norms. But I think he was following his own sense of justice. Now, there's one key line of dialogue, which made me kind of roll my eyes, and um, I, we can get to it right now if you want. When he's about to inseminate her, she starts praying to God, and he's like, ha, 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 there is no God, and man can do anything he wants when he realizes there's no God. And this is like the the uh, the argument that you have to have God in order for there to be morality. Yeah, or a government to, to keep us all in, in line because people are inherently bad, therefore we need pe- a government made up of people who are inherently bad. Therefore, we need a government made up of people who are inherently bad. You know, right. you know right. the one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is the old you got to have a higher power argument in order to behave 
And I think as anarchists, we, we wholly reject that argument. So whether you believe, I mean, there is a, there's a whole bit of discussion going around these days with like Jordan Peterson and Stefan Molyneux and Tom Woods talking about the benefits of religion and the uh, benefit it's had on Western civilization and the, the tradition of freedom and that sort of thing um, and how it's been built by that. But you don't need, in my view, you don't need a state to act morally and you don't need a god to tell you to act morally. I happen to be an atheist and I'm an anarchist. And I have this thing called the non-aggression principle, and it all flows out of the realization of self-ownership, and I think that's all you need. I don't think you have to have an IQ of 120 or 100, like Stefan Molyneux seems to think, and I don't think you have to have a god like Jordan Peterson seems to think. And I may be generalizing their views, don't, don't hold me exactly to what they're saying to say, but I've seen things where they talk about those sorts of things in those terms. So anyway, uh, it, it annoyed me a bit that this was the character's justification, that he didn't. He knew that there wasn't a god, so then he's just going to do whatever. Like, he had no sense of morality, but it sure seemed he had a sense of justice, just because it didn't happen within, it's not within, you know, societal norms, and it's also the fact that, you know, like you said, he accepted a contract and then decided later on that it wasn't enough, so then he's also going to kidnap the woman. Like, he wanted to renegotiate the terms. <laughs> But yeah, right. Yeah. Just, Renegotiate just, my contract. Right. Yeah. So uh, we've been jumping out around just a little bit. So before we get to um, Rocky being tied up and, and nearly inseminated, let's talk about they free the woman and what happens. Okay. Yeah. So um, they free the woman. And at first they're not going to, they're not going to bring her with her. They're just like, oh my God, there's a woman here. And then they go out. But then the, the woman, the girl's like, oh no, we need to free her. So they free her and they're going out this, what do they call those basement doors? Like a storm door or basement Yeah, like a cellar storm door. Yeah. And and yeah, so. before you go on, I, I think they should have just left her there and then did an anonymous tip or something, you know? Like Yeah, she, yeah, she didn't seem to be in immediate danger if she'd been there for however knows who long. I mean, but again, you don't exactly know for sure. I mean, that might have been the night that he was going to murder her. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, would have been a whole lot less risky, I guess you could say. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd GTFO. Get the fuck out of there. <laughs> and be like, yo, yo, there's this woman locked up in this basement in this house. Yeah. But anyway, they decide to grab her, and they are, all three of them, like, bunched up behind this door as they're, like, trying to open it. And it's, like, locked. So friend zone, like, opens it, and then, lo and behold, homeowner is there on the other side with a raised gun. And, of course, he can't see, but he just opens fire. And he hits friend zone in the ear, and he hits his baby mama in the face, killing her. Now, the friend zone and the girl run off into the basement. And the guy goes down and you know, discovers, oh, my God, what have I done? And he blames the vic- you know, the, the invaders for her death, even though he's the one that shot the gun. Now, was he justified in just opening fire as soon as that door is open? I... Uh, I don't know. I think you could have been in another situation. I, you could have just let him go, right? I mean, he's in self-preservation mode, but it's either murder somebody or it's, it's this point. This, this is this is different for me because he's not. They're clearly trying to escape. They're not. You know, they're not at this point still in the house. They're trying to leave the house. You know, so I was giving him a pass on killing money, but here it sure seems like he could have just not been there and waited for them to leave. 
And yeah, the cops would have come and he would have gone to jail, but you know, it's not a whole lot different. <laughs> from what his life is like normally. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> Jump in here. What do you got to say about this? Yeah, I agree. He goes uh, from being a defender to an aggressor here because they were trying to escape. They were trying to flee the area, and he's trying to get his um, justice or retribution immediately. Now, I think it plays a little bit differently, the first viewing and subsequent viewings, because first viewing, okay, now you've discovered that there's this woman trapped down there, and you might think that it's, his form of justice because she didn't have to go to prison and so they're freeing her and so him shooting them escaping doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense other than just him being really angry or whatever but when you know that it's the woman is pregnant and he doesn't know that she has been released right he thinks it's just the two trying to escape and now they do know what's down there and they said before that they knew what was down there. Right. So he's still thinking that if they escape, he's going to get caught and in trouble for this. Because right. you're right, it's not a societal norm. So he has an incentive to shoot these intruders before they can escape. But I think that it's more in the covering his tracks kind of way. And so he is being an aggressor. I totally agree with you. I think he turns into the aggressor at that point where he could have just, just let him go. And then dealt with the consequences. Um, but yeah, he's absolutely turning into the aggressor. He is covering his tracks. He wants to kill these two people and have life continue as, as is. But instead, you know, he ends up killing the girl, which he doesn't realize is on the other side of the door. And they're the invaders. They escape into the basement, at which point the homeowner finally turns off the lights, which I think he should have done earlier, but whatever. Then there's this uh, kind of like he levels the playing field and there's this kind of tense scene where they're playing cat and mouse. And the homeowner finally grabs the friend zone by the neck, puts the gun to his head, and pulls the trigger, but it clicks empty. And so instead he tries to strangle him, but uh, friend zone manages to push some, like, rack on top of him and get away. And so they make it upstairs, and then there's the dog. And the dog chases them upstairs, and they barricade themselves in a bedroom. And while they're in the bedroom, um, the homeowner goes and gets a gun, 44 Magnum, he's got underneath his bed. And at this point, they have a discussion about whether they should call the police or not. And it's interesting because the girl wants to keep the money, but if they call the cops, the cops obviously won't let them keep the money unless they do some kind of anonymous tip later on, but they don't really, they, they're trapped. They feel trapped inside this room. They go, this is robbery versus kidnapping and murder. The police won't care about us. They'll, they'll care more about this guy. And the girl's like, yeah, but I want this money. She's super motivated by the money. Um, it means more to her. She, it's a higher on her value scale <laughs> than uh, than the guy going to jail. And we see that later on in, at the end of the movie, too. So the girl climbs into an air shaft, and the guy, I don't know why, but she climbs into an air shaft, and the guy doesn't follow her. He's like continues to press on this dresser, which immediately gets pushed over, and his dog runs into the room and knocks him out of the, side of a, knocks him out the window and onto this other window. And then the dog climbs into the air shaft. Talking, talking up the way he talks. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a chase scene and, you know, tension and thriller type stuff. I thought that was interesting in this movie is that there's almost zero dialogue between the homeowner and the invaders. Almost zero. Uh, later on, there's a little bit. But for the most of this movie, it's just silent, like Jason type guy <laughs> chasing after these two people. Almost like a Friday the 13th movie. Then uh, the friend zone is like 
lying unconscious on the window, and the homeowner like shoots the window, so he falls down into the into the washroom, and then the homeowner comes in and he fights him in the washroom, and there's like some ground and pound. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of the homeowner like on top of a guy just punch him in the face. <laughs> Meanwhile, the girl is in this air shaft, and the dog is chasing her somehow, and she falls down and hurts herself. And then there's this uh, scene where well. They're still fighting in the uh, the uh, washing room. There, uh, let's see here. Uh, so then he wins. He like knocks him out, and he grabs these like trimmer shears, and he stabs him, or at least we think he stabs. Him. And then he goes, and just as the girl is about to escape out of the house, like through this air vent, like all of a sudden he's right there and grabs her and pulls her down, and then he ties her up in the basement, and then we get our scene which is where he says that she should have gone to prison, but rich girls don't go to jail. Now, it's after she's been, we already talked about this, but she's been, she's tied up and they're all having this debate about what's going to happen and he's like going to inseminate her. We find out that Friendzone is still alive because somehow the homeowner guy stabbed the dead guy instead of Friendzone. Yeah, it's like he's, he's, it's almost like he's blind or something. Well, but it's like, wouldn't you check, make sure that the guy's dead? I don't know. I had an issue with that. It yeah, guy, like guy's crazy, but well, he, he, he keeps crazy, the story he's going, fine, but he's not like totally stupid. Anyway, yeah, he keeps the story going. Okay, yeah. so right. well, before, before we get too much further, I wanted to back up to where he shoots the um, original girl when when they're opening pregnant the girl? cellar door. He shoots pregnant oh, yeah, girl, okay, uh-huh. yep. and he says that it's their fault that she's yeah. dead, and she talks talks to Rocky about that when she's tied up. Originally, I was saying, yeah, there is precedent for that because if someone's committing a felony, then they're sort of responsible for all the things that happen, even accidental deaths, by someone else doing the shooting. But in this case, the point we were making at the end of that scene where he should have just let them go, that is his responsibility. He did choose to recklessly shoot in that direction. So I don't think that he um, can blame them per se for that because he didn't need to do that shooting. Right, I would agree with you. Up to that point, I think that they're responsible for that. Um, now, right, they did start the whole thing in motion, but he didn't need to do that. At that point, he's just saving his own ass, and when it comes down to murder or going to jail, I think you got to pick the, the moral action there, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, he says that they are responsible for what's happened in a way, but no, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to just unload the gun as soon as the door was open. Yeah, and there's something like, else about that gun. It was like a magic gun. I, I don't know how many shots it had, but I think it was more than 14 or 15 or however many a Beretta 9mm would hold. And he just conveniently ran out when he held it to um, Nerd Boy. Yeah. Yeah, when the script said that the gun was out of bullets, then the gun was out of bullets. <laughs> yeah, and this and this uh, five-round forty-four Magnum, or, or maybe it's six, seems to have a lot of bullets in it. Now, he does appear to be reloading uh, at least once, but... Uh, I think he shoots well more than five or six rounds without any apparent reload time later in the film. Yeah. Now, I thought it was interesting. He claims that he's not a rapist. He goes, I'm not a rapist, as he prepares like the turkey baster. Now, anytime you're you're putting a foreign object against the will of somebody else inside somebody else's body, you are, that's my definition of rape. So, yeah, he would be forcing himself into her body. Uh, I thought that was a weird claim for him to make. Right as he's about to inseminate her. Well, I think he was getting very technical about it. Um, I'm sure, you know, legally, any penetration in a genital orifice, and it's, of course, changed over time. I was just actually looking at um, 
Army Reg 120, which has been revised over the last 15, 20 years, where uh, it, it involves any penetration or even um, any touching in the groin area is considered a rape or rape-type thing. And so it sort of evolves. But I think he was looking at the very technical, like, okay, a penis going in the vagina and inseminating versus uh, I'm going to get the semen in there, but I'm not going to use the penis. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure people have different definitions for it. but Yeah, I think he was going biblical on this, even though he's an atheist dude. Right, yeah, I, it, it didn't fit my definition of being a non-rapist. <laughs> if I'm taking a turkey baster to somebody in the, into their orifices, I'm, I'm a rapist if they didn't want me to. Sorry. Okay, so did you have any more? Because after that, then the uh, friend zone has mysteriously still been alive and comes in and rescues her by knocking out homeowner guy. Yeah, with a fucking hammer. Like a huge hammer. Knocks him out. And then they shove well, the, like the turkey baster in his mouth. He starts choking on his own boys. Yeah, inseminates him orally. That was uh, good. She uh, beats him down pretty good. I And then they, they handcuff him to whatever the girls were handcuffed to, and they just leave him, which I assume that they were going to like maybe call the cops later on. But, I mean, if they just leave him, I mean, he's going to die when you're handcuffed to this whatever that nobody else can escape from. But he apparently can, miraculously. Well, he, yeah, he's like fucking Houdini, because like two seconds later, he's David Blaine, and he's like out. Just like the gas didn't work on him, just like nothing works on Jason. This yeah. guy is Jason. He doesn't have a hockey mask, but he's Jason. Yeah, so, but it is kind of interesting. I thought it was interesting that, that um, they were having this discussion about, you know, that they were going to leave, and he's going to let them go. Well, essentially let them go, but the, if they take the money, that he's going to be quiet about it. But if they didn't, then he wouldn't. So there he decided to take the money and then be quiet about it, because then he wouldn't report to them, because then they wouldn't report him, kind of like an impromptu contract among thieves. Um, and they're going out, and they unlock the door, and then Friendzone gets shot because Jason has miraculously Houdini'd out of the handcuffs in seconds. And the girl makes a run for it. She, The door is now open, and she's out. And she's like, ha-ha, blind guy, you can't get me. I'm out here in the open. You're useless. And he sticks the dog on her. And the dog starts chasing her and chases her through, you know, bombed out Detroit. And she makes it back to the car. And there's this, like, Cujo scene where the dog is, like, trying to get at her in the car, but the money's outside the car, so she needs to get the dog back in the car, so she traps the dog in the car, goes out and gets the money, and then the homeowner's there. (laughs) And Jason's back, and he knocks her out, and he drags her back to the house. So, yeah, it kind of bothered me that he's, like, the superhuman Jason character who's always in the right place at the right time, but, eh, it's still a fun movie. So he kind of leaves her in the... In the in the uh, living room, and she's got the remote, and she grabs it, and she triggers it, and all of a sudden, for some reason, all the gunshots, the 44 Magnum gunshots, which have a ton of gunpowder in those bullets, super fucking loud in an enclosed space for sure, super deafening. All of a sudden, this alarm going off, and he's like freaking out. He can't hear. He's totally tripping balls, and she takes a crowbar to him, and uh, ends up putting one on on his kisser and he falls down into the basement and she takes off before the cops get there and she escapes with her sister at the airport flying to California and we see on the TV that um, the narrative is that 
the heroic homeowner fought off the two invaders, managing to kill them, and nothing was stolen. So that's the resolution of the movie. And I, I remember when I first had you watch this movie, you said, well, it just kind of ended. And yeah, I kind of agree. Although, um, when she escapes the first time, and then, you know, she gets caught again, it's kind of like a, an ending tease. But yeah, it does kind of just end. But I thought that the ending was fairly satisfactory. I thought it was like this detente ending, not like the super most satisfactory ending. But um, I don't know. I liked it. What do you think? Well, uh, I thought it was a, a pretty good movie. It was a thriller, you know, edge of your seat kind of deal. I thought that it was a little weird when he made this bargain with them to, you know, buy their silence. And then he escapes Houdini style and shoots them. And then she escapes the house and he sticks the dog on her. But it's, it's sort of like he's now made this agreement, right? That he's buying their silence, whatever. But now he's reneging on that deal. And Which the dog. It's history. <laughs> yeah. Like he keeps renegotiating everything. Like he's never satisfied with any of the arrangements that he's come to. Right. And, you know, the, the, the dog makes a lot of rackets. So I guess that's how he's able to find her again. Uh, but, you know, of course, she just can't have the movie end. Uh, and, yeah, she goes to the, uh, she escapes and has her sister at the train station. Not the airport, train station. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, um, she's going to go low class, I guess. All that, all that cash, well, okay. The Amtraks. Mm, government Amtrak. Yeah, but overall, a good movie. And, and this came up because um, sometime last year... Mr. Dapperton did a video about his top 10, like, horror movies, and this was one of the movies on his list, and so it inspired me to want to check this one out, and did you hear about it from me, or, or from that Dap video, or so, from somewhere else, where you were already no, aware I of saw, I saw a review, I check, like, review sites regularly, and I had seen that this had gotten really positive reviews, so I wanted to see it, so I saw it, and then I recommended it to you, um, I think... Right around that time that video came out, but I hadn't seen that video from Dapperton, or I didn't even know that he had recommended this movie, but I knew that he had liked horror movies, because I had seen some of his horror stuff, and he has like a hockey mask, whatever, and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I watched it, and I recommended it to you, and uh thought it was like a good one for the show. I, um, I think there's a lot of like weird little moral ambiguities. I think it's... I mean, it's, it's interesting to me that this guy keeps breaking his contracts, and he, you can't trust him to keep a contract. Um, and you can't trust the invaders either. I mean, it's all a whole bunch of, are they gonna, are they gonna agree, hold up to what they agreed to, or is it really just like the law of the jungle, and if he can, he will, because that's essentially what the guy is. He's like this force of nature who will just do whatever he can, and they are too. Um, and you can't trust any of them, what they're saying, which is not what anarchy is. Um, in the real world, people have reputations to uphold, and we tend to live by societal norms. And uh, your reputation is super important when trying to have a business, trying to have a job, trying to get a loan, uh, trying to have friends, <laughs> all kinds of things. It, it comes into play all the time, and you take it for granted, but it's uh, super important. And uh, these people in this movie are not good examples <laughs> of people with you care about their reputation, and they're also in an extreme situation, but yeah, it's of their own making. Yeah, so overall, your uh, your rating on this, black and gold or black and red? Oh, super black and gold. Uh, despite my issues with it, I can forgive a lot of it if it tells a dynamic, exciting story. So even if he's Jason, and he's in the right place at the wrong right time, and 
he's unstoppable and can get out of handcuffs in no time at all and with no explanation and he can have and drugs have no effect on him or his dogs for just no reason whatsoever and loud noises don't bother him except when they do uh, other than that you know it, it, it is a really fun kind of a unique uh, a unique story that I had never really seen before um, of you know these protagonists that are immoral actors they're breaking into a place and robbing a guy of his money and uh, yeah it, all around it was, it was quite a unique didn't really know who to root for at any given time yeah, I did notice that there was kind of a shift in you know, who was the bad villain and, and who wasn't. It does seem to kind of twist around quite a bit several times. Yeah, so. But yeah, overall, black and gold for me as well. I think it was really good. I mean, as we analyze these movies, I, I do start to see some more and more flaws in the logic and whatnot that come through. But I think you'll see that in almost any movie. I mean, no movie's perfect, and it's just kind of uh, the nature of the beast, you know? But uh, Yeah, as a screenwriter, I think you got to balance, um, you know, story with believability. I don't think you can have both. you got to pick, kind of, you know, balance one with the other. You can't just have it be completely unbelievable, but you got to be able to tell a really good story. And if, and if reality gets in the way of a good story, usually reality can sit along on the wayside for just a little bit while we uh, get on with the excitement. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I watched this on the Voodoo. Now, you had a physical disc of this, is that right? So you didn't use our Voodoo service for this? Right. Okay. But I have been adding movies to that. And uh, I don't know if our audience knows, but Voodoo's 10 years old now, so they have all these deals going on. So I keep adding movies to our collection because every weekend they come up with a new list of like $5 movies, like $5 footlongs. And so... You know, they put a list of 100 or so out, and I'll buy two or three. So now our library is, what, over 120, 150 movies, something like that? Wow. Gosh, the last time I looked at it, it was like in the 60s. So you've been doing a lot of work. Yeah, it's getting up there. But, I mean, most of them I think we can do a show on, so that's the good news. But the other cool thing is, you know how I can share the movie listings to you so that you can watch them, and if the app were to work, you could download them, etc.? Right. So one of the things that I'm considering doing is for our Patreon subscribers doing a monthly drawing, a rotation. So like as long as you're an active Patreon subscriber or supporter, uh, your name will be in this drawing. And each month, uh, one winner will be granted one month of access to our movie collection and the Voodoo app. Oh, that'd be super cool. How do you, um, can you, how do you remove it at the end of the month? Is that you're available to do that? I believe I have the ability to remove an email that I've shared it to, and I have a couple of slots that I can use. So you occupy one of them. Um, I'm going to start using them for certain guests if they need access to a movie, but I want to reserve one slot for our Patreon people. So uh, you'll get it for a whole month, and then we'll move on to the next person. I mean, you might win again. I don't know. Having... uh, a winner win twice in a row, that would be fine, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, we're not egalitarians here. If you win, you win. So <laughs> so that, that, that will be uh, for anyone who subscribes uh, on our Patreon at any level, you'll be in the running for that. And then we're going to have uh, different prizes or offers at different tiers. And I'm still working on that. Uh, one of our subscribers or Patreon people told me I need to, to get on that because they're talking about it on our shows, but... I haven't done anything yet, so I promise I'll get to it. 
and uh, we'll have some great benefits for people to to take advantage of, uh, including this Voodoo Share of our movie library of over 100 movies, uh, always growing. And uh, I think that's a really kind of a neat thing that we should be able to throw in as a bonus. So that'll be patreon.com slash readrothbard to get in on that action. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Trying to give the people what they want, just like our 32nd show of the Actual Anarchy podcast, actualanarchy.com slash 32, talking about Don't Breathe. That's right, that's right, folks. You just heard it here. 90 minutes of us talking about a 90-minute movie. How about them apples? Perfect. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was a, a fun one. Um, this is the kind of movie that I really enjoy doing. I, I like almost all the movies we do, but uh, this is like kind of right up my alley in terms of moral ambiguity and getting into the weeds and talking about this kind of like freedom stuff. So uh, thanks for listening to this one. We'll have another episode next week. That's what right. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be Aviator. And then right after that, I think we'll have Napoleon Dynamite. And we'll be coming up on Shark Week after shortly thereafter. So we got uh, a full slate of shows coming your way. ActualEnergy.com, Actual Energy Podcast. Uh, we also run ReadRothbard.com and ConquestOfRed.com. Please do click on any of the Amazon links, the Liberty Classroom links, the ReadItFor.me links, the Principal Propaganda links, all the links all the time. Just click on them, support us, buy things, uh, learn stuff, give us comments, likes, shares, YouTube subscriptions, etc. Everything you can do to help us keep motivated, keep going strong, we would appreciate it. And I uh, just want to say thank you very much. The feedback we've been getting so far has been really, really great. And we're starting to build a bit of community. And we're having a lot of fun doing this. So thank you guys very much. And I'm going to say peace out from my end. And Robert, I hand it to you, my man. Yeah, buddy. This was a good one. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, the podcast really has been an interesting thing uh, over this past year or so. We've been doing this. Um, it's really connected us to other like-minded people. And that has been really, really strong, really, really encouraging and yeah, it's just been a really positive experience. So I want to thank all our listeners and thank everybody else out there in the uh, liberty movement. If you want to call it a movement, I don't know. It's just living life, man. <laughs> Free of uh, aggressing against other people. It really should be the norm, but it's just weird that it's a movement. It shouldn't have to be, but it is. Uh, oh, well. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Thanks for listening to this one. We'll be back next week. Take care. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do